Uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. We're talking to creative entrepreneurs and passionate professionals on their way to even more awesomeness. But it's not always bright and cheery. We're talking about those obstacles that get in their way and what they do to keep being awesome. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Lauren Lemonian, the Spitfire Coach. I would absolutely love it if you headed over to Apple Podcasts or however you listen to podcasts and download the Spitfire Podcast. You can check out all of our past episodes at spitfirepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support us, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash the Spitfire Podcast and give us some love. Episode 25 is not rainbows and sunshine. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of pain and violence that we talk about initially, but there is a silver lining and bright side to the story. So if you do have kids sitting around or if you are in an open space, get those earbuds in and check out episode 25 with Johnny B from Relentless PT. Hey, Spitfires. Are you ready to get pumped up? We are going to talk about fitness. We're talking about life coaching and nutrition. We have Johnny B of Relentless PT. That almost rhymes. I should, I should maybe make a rap for you, for your business. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I was a musician too, so we could make this happen. Dude. It's I'm a down. collaboration. I love it. Yeah. So, so Johnny B and I met virtually. I'm just going to keep rhyming. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Less, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. It's like once the train start, leaves the station, it's a wild ride. Um, we met virtually when I was a guest on another guest of the Spitfire podcast, Mark Cardone, who had the golden mic and we connected and, you know, now we are here and you are on the Spitfire podcast. And it's super awesome to be here. No doubts. No doubts. See, we Spitfires attract other Spitfires. It's all part of the community in the circle. So welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, as soon as I saw the whole, even the name Spitfire, that started going, man. I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to like this, dude. So, yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, if you're afraid of the flame, you should probably back away. For sure. <laughs> Can't take, said, right? Get out of the kitchen. That's right. Unless nope. you want to make something nutritious. Yes. So, so I'm going to jump right to it because you sent me over your, your bio. So very brief um, take on, on your background, but, you know, not Beaver Cleaver, not, you know, even Full House. You had some real trauma growing up, um, but I, w- I want our listeners to hear about this because I think that it's really important for the journey of where you came from to where you are now and where you're going. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I guess just to go back to the time machine, right? Head back a few years. Um, you know, I was born in New Orleans and uh, it all kind of started there, to be honest with you. I was like four. Um, the first kind of traumatic thing that happened, uh, a couple of things. One, the uh, the neighbors, we lived in a pretty bad area and the neighbors came and, and one day decided to smash my dog's head in with a rock. Yeah. That was one of the first things. So wow. I come home from wherever and I go to get the dog and I remember finding him and just, it's just really weird. You know, you see your dog and where his head should be and then a rock in my brain trying to comprehend like, how is he underneath that? And my mom came and got me and then it wasn't but a couple months later somebody kicked in our front door and just shot the walls up and so my parents were like it's time to make a move right so they uh they moved us yeah. from new orleans to a a more upscale city um which was nice you know definitely out of love from their part but it was hard because we didn't have we couldn't keep up with the joneses so to speak you know my parents are super hard-working people but we've always been um kind of lower middle class this area that we lived in, uh, Mandeville, if anybody's ever been there that's listening, knows it's kind of 
uh, want to be Hollywood. And um, so there's just Range Rovers everywhere. We'd go to high school, man. Kids would be driving Audis, BMWs, Mustangs. They just stay, you know, the very, very wealthy community. <clears throat> so it's hard for us to come keep up with that. So one day I went skateboarding down a street by myself, no friends, couldn't keep up with them, you know? And uh, I think I was about 12 at the time. And uh, this kid was standing out front of his house, man, about six foot six, big blue mohawk, um, had the words F off, but not F, you know, uh, mm -hmm. tattooed across his neck. And um, he just called me up to his house. Man. He's like, hey, man, come see, you know? So I went up there and dude, I thought these were like the coolest kids on earth. You know, all of them had tattoos and all this kind of stuff. I was right on and they oh, you skateboard? So they made me feel really good about myself and the fact that I skateboarded. So they started inviting me to the house. And um, what ended up happening was the house was um, owned by a um, petroleum engineer and an ordained minister, right? Mm -hmm. And so they took these runaways in from their church and let them live in their house amongst their own kids. They had uh, this one younger son who was nine, their daughter who was just a little bit older than me, and then an older daughter that was just about to move out. And so um, before you know it, they were kind of like brainwashing us. This is like this whole punk rock thing. You know, they shaved my hair into a mohawk. Um, they used to lock us in closets and take turns going in there, just bonging it out, um, like smoking weed. I remember one time they did it for so long. We're in there for like 30 or four hours. And um, I got like 103 fever from it. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, they used to take little Paul, feed him acid at nine, send him off to middle school. Um, and then once we started getting older, they, they would teach us fighting and violence, you know, and, and we were against the, these football players and stuff like that. And so I'd have to go to school and they would force us to fight these kids. And if we didn't, they would threaten to cut our finger off. And, um, it, it was just super, super intense. I have scars on my back where they used to hold us down and beat us with whips and, and just constantly, it was just constantly violent, violent, violent kind of things. And so I did that for years uh, until I finally broke away from it, you know, and, uh, but I kind of feel like that's where my relentlessness started with the name and everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I have even have the tattoos. Everybody always asks me about my tattoos and I've got the two hands on my, on my shoulders and neck and they'll ask what that's about. And it's, uh, it represents that and it represents them trying to hold me down. But now I've got the strength that every day I take that step, I'm bringing my past with me, you know? Mm. So, Wow. So first, like, heavy, heavy stuff, like four-year-old seeing that, then not having the safety and then not feeling welcomed or included or that you belonged and then being welcomed in under this guise of, we think you're cool and awesome. And then abuse yeah, and, and, and torture. Right. Pretty. Yeah. That, that was basically it, you know? And um, again, my family was a good family, but they had their own issues too. My dad mm -hmm. worked all the time, so he wasn't there. So there's no reason for me to be at home. So these people became my second family, but I didn't understand any other type of family or friends. So yeah. I thought, this is what it was, you know, and we had to help Mikey build his satanic altar in the corner when I was like 13, you know, that's wow. the room we slept in, you know, and he'd read us out of his Bible, you know, about Anton LaVey and all this kind of crazy stuff, man, like really intense when you're that little, you know? You're yeah. Horror movies and you're kind of living in one. Yes. So were you still living at home at this point or were you, did, did you just move into this house altogether? It, it was like back and forth. Yeah. And my, my parents would try to get me to stay at home with them. And then I would literally, that just goes to show you how, like how crazy brainwash kind of things mm -hmm. would work, but I would just pop my window open and sneak back out and get back over there as soon as I could. I was like obsessed with being over there and, and the lifestyle because as abusive as they were, when I did something like fight somebody, 
I'd have to be, I was a freshman and I have to fight the senior football players. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if I came home and told them, you know, I cracked this dude in the face or whatever, a senior or whatever it was, they then I, I was celebrated for the day, yeah. you know? And um, so I kind of started to feed off of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same for abusive relationships, domestic violence, gang mentality, like all of that. Yeah. It's, it's not all bad. And so we, we can look back on it and be like, how did you stay? Why did you go back? But when you feel that connection to a community, when you do get that praise and validation, it feeds you, even though it pains you. Yeah. Uh, and I'd almost say even more so because of the pain, because then all of a sudden yeah. when they praise you, you're like, oh man, it feels so good as opposed to, you know, the whip or whatever it was. So Yeah. Super highs and super lows. Yeah. Yeah. So so you break through from this. You, you find, at what point did you kind of hit that, that wall of like, I got to get out of here? We, uh, we ended up, without going into too much detail, we ended up going into a, a serious crime event took place mm-hmm. involving all of us. It was a giant theft that went down, like big, big time money was stolen. We were all involved in it. And um, so the older kids went to jail. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day that it was happening, even though I was as lost as I was, my core values I always held on to. Um, and I remember the, getting the phone call saying, hey, the cops are on their way. Uh, they already hit this kid's house and they hit this kid's house. They're coming to your house next. So, you know, blah, blah. I hurried up and called the older kids and I knew that they were going to go to jail, but I was only 16. So I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I told them, Yo, I'll just give me all the money. I'll take the rap for the whole thing. And he, they said, you know, are you out of your mind? You think we're stupid? You're going to steal the money. And that's when I kind of had this eye opening realization of like, wow, I was like going to put myself mm-hmm. into the and absorb the whole thing at the cost of this quote unquote family. Um, you know, I even had the tattoo on my leg that they made us get, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that that's what was a real eye opener. And then once they got out of prison, um, things were completely different and it got kind of boiled up. It disappeared for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it came to a point where I had a daughter at the time. By the time I was in high school, I was a senior, had a half day with semester graduation. The high school that I went to, the coaches tried to, one of them hit me in the parking lot with his truck. Um, three of them got arrested for sleeping with the students. Um, it was, wow. there was no safe place in my life whatsoever. So by that point, when I was a senior, I was already married, already had a kid, full-time job, my own apartment. It was like, there was no childhood. I just went straight through and uh, they got out and all of a sudden they came looking around and my first wife, who's my ex-wife now, my daughter's mom, um, she started dating this one particular guy that was a heroin dealing, tattooed faced, horrible person. And they came showing up to the house one day and guns got drawn. And so I literally had my gun pointed at them. They're pointing their gun at me. And I told them, I said, look, man, I said, this has nothing to do with me. Me and her aren't even together but my daughter is literally sleeping right behind me. So however mad you think you are, I want you to recognize that the survival of me and my family is going to outweigh that. So Mm -hmm. I hope you have enough bullets in your gun to stop it. And for whatever reason that worked, that that was basically it. And they put their guns down. They said, you know, whatever. And they, they walked off and that was the end of the chapter. Wow. That's, I mean, you can't, you can't not saying that you would ever make this up, but you can't make this shit up. Like this is insane. Like yeah. you, you, you say it in such like this matter of fact, like, yes, this is my life. But like, do you, do you now looking back on this recognize like how intense and extreme it is? Oh yeah, definitely. You okay. know, cause by that point it was, I was 20, 20. Yeah. Uh, by the time it got to that point, you know, and, um, I'm 37 now. So 17 years has passed, mm-hmm. but 
Uh, I'm not going to lie to you if I say that sometimes I'll be outside on a particular kind of day and I'll just get a certain temperature or smell that reminds me of some of those days and I miss it. Yeah, that's how crazy it is. You know, it's like, what the hell do you, how are you missing that? You know, but there were some good times involved in there. And I guess it was because it's part of my childhood too. So it, it's a really twisted thing, but it's not that I would ever, ever go back to that, you know, and if I could change it, I would. Um, but it's, it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Like it works. But it's got you to this point. So, yeah. so the day comes, you're no longer involved with them. You have a daughter, you have, you're married. How do you get into now this, this next phase and chapter of your life? So before I did that, I've always been a musician, right? And a gift that I've always had is I can create something from nothing. I've just always been a super creative and I'd much rather do that. There's, for all the musicians listening, they know exactly what it's like to first pick out your band members and how fun <laughs> it is when you're hanging out in the practice space. Like, who are we going to call the band, you know? And, and then you just, that's like the first thing you do. You don't that's know the most important yet. part. Right. You need a band name. <laughs> exactly. What are we going to call ourselves? And so, um, so we did a lot of, you know, the first show I played, I was 14. It was like punk rock music. Again, a lot of validation from the older kids when we would do that. Um, but then the music stayed with me. So by 2003, I had moved to Orlando and I went to motorcycle school because I was always into motorcycles, but I also worked in a music store called Sam Ash. And within that mm -hmm. time, we got a couple songs on the radio. I, and, and the way that I did it is um, you had to restart, you know, so I'm moving to Orlando. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows anything I would tell people like, oh, so-and-so recorded us back home. They don't know who that is. So you got no cred whatsoever. You have to start from scratch. And uh, that was a really hard time, man, because every day I'd have to ride the bus for about three hours because um, we only had one car. The girl I was with was using the car. So three hours, I'd have to take a bus, um, get up at four o'clock in the morning, go work at Best Buy, then get off. Then I'd have to walk. If anybody's familiar with OBT in Orlando, they know it's a real fun road. I have to walk all the way down OBT to get to school. And then what I would do is rent this practice space. And it cost me about $450 a month just to rent the space on my own. I had no band or anything, but I had the vision that I was going to put together a band. I already wrote all my songs, had everything written out. And so I started handpicking. I would try people out inside the, inside the, back, the band practice space. And then finally, within two years, I had a full-on band, uh, met up the, with a guy that was a CEO or an account executive, uh, rather, for Clear Channel. And he just hung out with me one night, told me, hey, man, you know I'm not going to buy anything, right? Because I'm a guitar salesman. I said, yeah, I know. I said, you know I don't care, right? I just get to sit here and hang out with you. He's like, right on. He's like, you got a CD? Gave it to him. Two days later, he's just putting it on the radio, just playing it. And um, so that, that was my first taste of like getting some success in music. Then from that point, I ended up just building my own recording studio. And um, I actually have over 200 songs published through BMI and they just get played from, you know, MTV to UFC stuff to all over the, all over the world. I just got some royalty checks from Germany and, and nice. stuff like that, which is, yeah, it's really cool. And um, so I did that for a long time. I did that for like about 10 years, but it still wasn't like fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And um, writing for TV and film and writing to get on the stage and be a rock star is two very different worlds. You know, TV and film mm -hmm. is A and B. Don't make it too exciting because it takes from the scene. It's like, so just mute my passion. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <Dial> back. Yeah. <laughs> and so we end up moving back to Louisiana. My parents dropped the bomb on me that they've decided to open a restaurant. And I'm like, why in the hell did y'all ever open a restaurant? It's like the worst jobs I ever had was in restaurants, but they did. And they opened this cafe and we would be in there from six in the morning till like eight o'clock at night, Monday through Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
So I spent a lot of time in there, dude. We did that for 10 years and there would be hours upon hours with no customers. So um, I started working out and getting into shape. And then I got to the points where I had to go to physical therapy because I didn't know what I was doing. I had shoulder impingement, glenohumeral joint situation. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's when I started learning personal training. I uh, went through ACE, got my certification. It's supposed to take you six months or so. And I did it in a month and a half, went to UNO, took the test. I mean, just killed it, you know? <laughs> and uh, so then that's when I started personal training people. Then once we moved to Mobile, Alabama, came here because my girlfriend is uh, pre-med and she does biomedical sciences here. And um, they don't have that at LSU for whatever reason. So we're here in Mobile. And so once again, I had to start over, start from scratch, lost all my clientele. Um, I was the head trainer for UFC gym. We did fight training, things like that. So I found a company that makes an online training app, right? So I was able to think of Wix, like for uh, you know, making a website, but for mm-hmm. personal training. So I was able to videotape myself doing all the moves, blast it all onto this particular site, make it look the way that I want and put the pictures that I want and then keep in touch with my clientele. So as they do the workouts and they put it into their phone, it comes directly to me. It hooks mm-hmm. the Fitbit, my fitness pal. They can Skype me, instant message me. Um, that way I can keep them under total progression, nutrition and everything. Uh, so I kept my Louisiana clients, came to Mobile, started having to work at Guitar Center because that was my background. Um, became a manager over there and I was working Orange Theory at the same time. So I was working these giant long days. And so I finally got to the point, once again, trying to just create something from nothing. Uh, and that's when I came up with the name Relentless. You know, just I felt like that was always a part of who I was and how I always accomplished things was to relentlessly keep pushing forward. And um, so I did it to the point where I quit both of those places. Now I've got my own business, got my own logo. So then to the get take to the next point, I was uh trying to figure out how, what can I do that's different? There's a million personal trainers out there and now everybody's starting to do this mobile training thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I've got the, the personal training, I've got the nutrition, but there's still this one part that's missing. You know, people still won't adhere to it or they'll still fail because they decide not to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started going to IPEC so I could learn more about life coaching and figure out how I can find out what these inner and outer blocks are, how to help these people raise that inner energy to get them to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I did. And so then now I kind of created this trifecta. And then I was like, you know what I'm really going to do? Because one thing I really stand against, that's a huge part of me. And I think this comes back to the childhood trauma is um, I can't stand competition. Like mm-hmm. competition's okay sometimes, but it brings out the worst in people the majority of the time. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's always bad. So in the personal training world, it's don't train with them, train with me. I'm the best. Mm -hmm. Um, If you worked at a particular gym or whatever, you know, CrossFit, it's CrossFit is the best. Everything else, uh, you know, everybody gets into this particular niche. uh, Whereas I don't see it that way at all. It's like, if you want to do CrossFit, do CrossFit, but these are the things you might be missing. So make sure you add that to it. You can use Mm -hmm. us for just that one service and you'll be well-rounded and everybody's perfect. Um, so I started reaching out and started headhunting. So now I've got a nutritionist, um, out of Pensacola. I'm talking to another person that's out of Michigan. I've got another trainer that's some, uh, in a place in Mobile. I've got another one that's coming from Atlanta. So I've got all these different trainers that are under the relentless, uh, banner so that a person can come to us and have all the best of the best all in one spot. And we all see you and we can talk to you and we can progress you. So my nutritionist sees how you're working out and I see how you're eating and it's all, connected together. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really it's, awesome. It's so interesting because I I owned a CrossFit gym and that's when I kind of like tapped into what is stopping people, which led me to become 
a certified coach because I was like, there's got to be more than this of just like go and do and yell at people. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and and I I stopped going to CrossFit about two and a half three years ago because. I didn't like what competition was doing to me. So once I, once I realized the, the catabolic and anabolic energy, I was like, okay, I'm in the best shape of my life, but why am I so unbalanced and why am I so unhealthy still? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Like you feel the fire, but it's not a good feeling fire. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Like a good fire, bad fire. And I'll, I'll talk to the client, ask them, so what's going on, you know? And a lot of times it will be like an extrinsic motivator. That's, that's causing this whole thing. Uh, and cause so life coach session one, right? So what do you want to work on in our session today? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to tell you something like, you know, adherence to my diet. I usually start and then I stop all blah, blah. Well, by session two, I start to find out, well, the reason why I'm doing a diet is because my boyfriend says I'm like too fat now. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so now we're kind of doing this for someone else, you know? And so as we start to really figure it out, it's like, well, what's your value? Like, what's important to you? Is it mm-hmm. looking a certain way? Like, are you going to be happy once you look that way? And then once we break through to that, then, because you're not there with them 24 seven, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, every gym that I worked at orange theory, wherever they're on point when they're there and you're yelling at them, or if I'm doing a boot camp, they're totally on point. But then once they leave, who knows what they're doing? So how do you make them act like you're with them when you're not, you know, and it's to create that mindset within them, which I feel is being relentless, you know, again, to, to keep putting that name out there. It's just, it's an ideal. Yeah. And, um, so I've, I've been kind of exploring this more. I mean, I see, you know, as a coach and also as being a fitness coach, you know, this kind of dependence of on the person to help you be accountable or to help you act in the way that you should. But what is it that keeps you on point? What do you think is missing from people in general in everyday life that, that does not allow them to be accountable and relentless for themselves? Oh, that's a tough one. I feel like it's a little bit different for different people. Um, it, it could be an imbalance, like, cause they work so much, you know, that, that you'll hear them say, you know, I just don't have time. And then once you really dig in, it's like, well, actually you've got about three hours every day, mm-hmm. but during those three hours, they're exhausted. Right. So it's like, okay, well, how can we change your perception? How can we reframe your work environment? So it's not so draining on you. So you don't hate it so much that you, so that you can use, do these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things I think that are super important too is, um, form, you know, making sure there are yeah. actual forms on point so that there's no injuries involved. Um, and then a lot of times I'll get it from guys too, but a lot of times it's from my female clients. They'll say I'm intimidated when I go into the gym cause I have no idea how to use the machines. Mm-hmm. So they'll stay away from those and just make it like, I'm not going to eat barely anything. And I'm just going to run on a treadmill forever and try to do that deal. When it's like, you know, just as well as I do weights are super important, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So developing that confidence. So different, different clients, it's different things, but I mean, within one session, we can figure out exactly what the issue is, or at least a good, good starting point, you know, either intimidation, uh, previous injury, or I'm doing it for all the wrong reasons. And, uh, so we got to make sure that like, well, let's find out what your values are so that you can apply because everybody can benefit from health. There's nobody on earth that, well, for the most part, that's going to say, <laughs> I want to be unhealthy. You know, like that's my core value. I want to be disgusting and unhealthy, you know? Like, okay, well, maybe working out's not for you. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, tapping into that. Yeah, if your core value is naps, then yeah. you're probably, <laughs> probably right, not, yeah. not looking for that. Try to teach about a nap in a plank position, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that does not sound like napping. Maybe there's like a board <laughs> underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think it's so cool. Like the, it's the mind body, real connection and fueling your body and treating your body in a way, but also treating your mind in a way that serves you. Yeah. 
Definitely. And it completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Crosses over, I'm going to use a simple word, crosses over from mm-hmm. the gym to, to real life. And so totally. I tell people, you know, the gym is, is our boot camp for the war outside. And uh, good war, bad war, it's all good. You know, we're, we're just trying to succeed. And so a lot of my life coaching clients, it's to me, life coaching always comes down to this. Whatever their initial issue is, then it turns into a relationship problem always. Oh, totally. And then totally. after that, it's going to be all about life purpose. So I don't care what they tell you on session one. All I want to do is, you know, stick to the diet. Nope. Cool. And it's, well, because my relationships at work burn me out or at home. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of personal training clients. By the time we get to session 12, they have completely, not to give myself and blow smoke, because it, it is them that are, that's making the change. But through the guidance and through the confidence, um, I've had two marriages get saved. And this was mm-hmm. in 12 sessions. So we're talking about three months, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they just thank the hell out of me. Like, dude, then it's like, no, no, you're the one that did it. You know, I just asked you questions and you showed up to the gym and, you know, but it's because of you, you know, the confidence So their confidence was such a big part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I had a couple clients that completely quit their old job and went to new jobs because they didn't think they could do the other job. Um, but then that confidence and that there's something about going to the gym and every time you go in there, you have a specific goal. That's why I'm so into progressing. Don't just go in there and do a workout. You know what you did last time. So I call it passing yourself up. So everybody that's in in the relentless click knows passing yourself up. So once you can do a particular thing, that is you. The next time we get there, we have to pass yourself up. So what are you going to do to pass that up either with reps or with weight? That way there's this constant progression. And then that mindset gets ingrained in them. So then they go to work and they're like, how am I going to pass myself up this time? Either mm-hmm. in sales or whatever it's going to be. Or when they go home, how am I going to pass myself up in this relationship? And maybe, I don't know, I'm going to do the dishes for them before they get home or surprise them with something. This inner energy starts to come out of them because they're in that anabolic state and they find themselves doing things that they normally would have, quote unquote, been too tired to mm-hmm. do. And uh, their whole life just completely changes. Isn't it so amazing? It starts with one little shift and just being consistent about it. And it, all of those small changes just start to grow and build and, and create something that when you look back on it, you're like, holy shit, how did I do this? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, a million percent. And a lot of it, I think is it's tricky too because it's faith-based, you know? It's yeah. not like um, you do this today and watch what happens when you wake up tomorrow. You know, There, there, are, no, there are no guarantees on timing, but there are right. guarantees in, in the intention. Yes, totally, totally, totally. That's awesome. Even did a, a thing for for New Year's just to go back to my non competition thing. You know, I was thinking <laughs> New Year's resolution. You know, what are we going to do? And so I called it the New Year's Revolution. Mm-hmm. And what we did is I blasted out on Facebook saying, "We don't care who your trainer is, or what gym you go to, or who your nutritionist is. We don't care if you even become our client." If you're doing anything and you're not getting the results that you want, you just contact us and we will totally tell you what we think you're doing wrong, what you need to add to it. If you want to use our services, that's fine. If not, now you leave with the knowledge. That's it. So I had a ton of people contact me and say, you know, I'm doing this and that and the other. And I tell them, you need to ask your instructor to address this. It sounds like it's probably a tight, you know, whatever, iliopsoas muscle. That's why your lower back's hurt. And it's actually at the front. You need to get that stretched or diet. You know, diet is usually the number one thing people are just so far off base mm-hmm. with, you know, carbs are the most evil thing ever in their eyes and, and these things. And, uh, but you know, it made a huge difference, you know, and it's funny cause I would have thought like, man, you'd think after doing that, they'd, they'd come join the relentless side, but no, they just kept doing their thing. But I felt better because 
um, I helped them, you know, yeah. made a difference, changed it. So, well, and you didn't do it with the expectation that they would, cause exactly. then, then you would have had ego come in and everything else. And I think yeah. that's, that's the big thing is like when people do marketing or promotion, they're so attached to the outcome mm-hmm. that, that all of their ego and insecurities gets pumped into the messaging and people can snip it out in two seconds. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's what got me out of sales. I was a one hell of a salesman, dude. I could sell anything, <laughs> but it's, there's something so wrong about it if you don't believe in the product. Yeah, you know? absolutely. All these absolutely. warranties and stuff. So It shouldn't feel like selling if, if you're connecting people to a solution that they truly need. Exactly. Totally, totally. And I've done that before too, where they'll come up and say, hey, I only have enough money to like do the personal training. I can't really mess with the nutrition part. It's like, well, then you're really not going to get any benefits. So I'd really rather you go to my nutritionist and deal with them or find a nutritionist. And once you get that on point and you have the money, then come back to me. And I've turned them away. And um, even the nutritionist I have that works for me, when she gets clients for me, I, I get zero from that. So mm-hmm. the, the people that work for me, unless they're personal trainers, I don't get anything off of it. It just strengthens the brand, you know, and it strengthens the, the outcome of the client. That's all we're trying to do is like, get the best for the best people and just turn people's lives around. That's, that's it. awesome. You just show up for people. That's it. 100%. That's it. That was actually my word of the month that I just put out today. What What's phrase? that? Showing up. Yeah. And so this month is all about just showing up as your authentic Absolutely. self. Definitely. That's rad. That's so awesome. I mean, it's like you have completely extracted ego from what is typically a very egocentric industry. Yeah. Because it's pointless. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. belong there. You know, it's so silly, uh, especially for your typical clientele. I'm not training like, you know, super hardcore athletes half the time. I'm, you know, it could be like soccer moms and stuff. So to go in there and try to have I don't know. Have you worked there. out next to a soccer mom? They are badass. <laughs> now, I will say this. I'll definitely say this. The majority of my clientele is females. And I, I definitely prefer that um, because there's definitely limiting beliefs behind what a female can do in the gym. And I love, absolutely adore destroying that image. Mm-hmm. Um, so my girlfriend, Taylor, she is five foot two, weighs 120 pounds. If she walked into the room, you would not say, good Lord, a monster just came in here. But when she bench presses, she's bench pressing 70 pound dumbbells. And I'm not talking about a one rep max. Like she's pumping out eight reps, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> um, so if you can bench press more than your body weight yep. with dumbbells, that's, that's a good step, dude. That's more than most of my guys. And uh, so, yeah, dude, I take women. I'm, you know, Tony, she's 54. She's bench pressing 45s. Vicky's 53. She's bench pressing 50s. All no injuries, nothing like that, you know, so we're and again, that, that sticks in their head, you know, and they realize, God, I thought, you know, 25 pounds would be the heaviest I ever lifted. It's like, hell no, man, we can go way past that, you know, and, yeah. and just keep going. So it's very cool. Very cool. So what would you say is your superpower? Um, I would say, hmm, it's a tricky one. Uh, I would say probably definitely the ability to create something from nothing. I've done that so many times, you know, I, I don't, I have nothing. I literally have scratch, you know, and then, and then just creating a thing out of it and making it something that lasts forever. Um, and then there, you know, people have always, um, been drawn to me as far as like personal training after the first session, they're telling me, you know, anything you could possibly imagine them questioning their sexuality to, uh, it's like, wow, I can't believe these people are telling me this and they like barely know me, but there must be something about me that, that just makes them feel safe and comfortable to say that, you know, mm-hmm. and to trust me not to go blasting them to everyone else or whatever, which I would never do. And, um, so yeah, the mixture between those two, 
um, I think is my driving force. Awesome. What would you say is your kryptonite? Oh, my kryptonite. Um, that one, I'd say I'm super huge on things that are, are I even put this on Mark's uh, thing today when he went on live. Uh, you know, the things that are supposed to be common, like common sense, common courtesy, uh, they're not very common at all. And when I see that, um, it, bl- it blows me up into a rage. So I have, you know, post-traumatic stress um, disorder, imagine that. And uh, so I have like trauma shaming, trauma splitting and a few other issues. So anger and rage is one of my things and you know, that I have to really, really work on controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's down to the point to where if me and my girlfriend are about to go in and I see another guy and a girl go in before us and the guy doesn't hold the door for the girl, it drives me up a wall, dude. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Not that the girl needs that to happen, but call me old school, man. I think that she deserves the respect for that. Now, if I see the guy start yelling at her, I'm getting involved. Like it's gone, like yeah. it's already happened. And then Taylor's like, you need to you know, calm down, blah, blah. I said, I didn't go to jail. Everything's fine. He's alive. <laughs> I just want to make sure he understands that's not okay. Yeah. You know, I have a client who um, described a very similar, not, not in rage, but she was like really just like impacted when people either didn't say thank you or didn't hold the door. And yeah. I said, you have gratitude ultimatum disorder. Okay. Where you awesome. expect other people to act in the way that you would. And you have right. an entire story and value system about what someone does or doesn't do. Yeah, totally, totally. And, but, but I feel like some of these things were, you know, America, at, at least our society is definitely changing rapidly. Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. when I was a kid, that's what you did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you were supposed to hold the door for people and I'll hold it for guys or girls. I don't care. It's like whoever's first to the door. Now you're the, the door guy, you know, or girl. <laughs> so you yeah. hold it for the people coming in. It's my way of saying like, Hey, I have no idea who you are but you're still a part of my tiny village that has gone and turned into this giant metropolis, right? So I respect you enough to hold this open for you. Well, you know, it's also been on the flip side. I've seen this happen where women have spouted off at men who have held doors because they go into the assumption, what, you don't think I can hold it for myself? You don't think I can get it for myself? I was like, no, I want the door held for me. Right, right, sure. I have bags in my hands. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's one of those situations where if they did that to me, I'd probably get mad and just have to really understand like, God, that's so about you. And here's my card. You know, I'm a life coach also. Yeah. <laughs> we can dig in there and figure out what's going on. No, I don't want to take that mess on. No, <laughs> I'll, I'll send them to you. <laughs> awesome. I'll refer that yeah, to you. Funny. Yeah. So where do you think your flame comes from? Um, I, I really feel like it started during those, those darker times, you know, and, um, it's hard, you know, because I mean, I always want to be a rock star, you know, I always wanted to be famous and, uh, musically. And, uh, once I started getting older, I started getting a little bit more philosophical with my life. Like, what's the point of anything? Once I started really getting into space and time and, and, um, that's, I'm huge into that. I'm such a freaking nerd, you know? And so once I got into that, it really started putting things into perspective and how um, unimportant most of the things we do are because it won't be here in a hundred years. And what are they thinking? Of, you know, a, a billion light years across the galaxy, you know, it's like, God's sake. So I'm sitting there thinking like, what is your deal? Dude, like, why do you want to be? And I think what it comes down to is I've always wanted to be quote unquote important enough that when I say something, it matters. Mm. And that's where I think I tied into fame. And I think that's why I got involved with those kids in the first place when I was younger, because when I would go to school, I wasn't important or cool enough or fit in enough to speak and have people listen and, and validate my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I hung out with those 
older kids, there'd be moments where they'd, I'd say something horrible, you know, like, this is what we should do, blah, blah. And they're like, oh my God, that's so awesome. You know, they thought it was great. And um, so then, of course, I've changed my, my values off of that. But I still have that desire to be able to say something and maybe it just affect enough people to make change, you know? And unfortunately, yeah. you kind of have to be famous for that to happen, you know, to reach enough people. It's, it's all part of the movement. And yeah. one day you will, you will be where you want to be. But I think where you are now is pretty freaking awesome and the impact that you're having on people's lives and how far you've come with everything in your life and the progress and, and this, this like nonchalant, like, yeah, it just makes something out of nothing. Like, no big deal. Yeah. So I can, I can, we're going to touch base in, in a couple months, in a year, and I guarantee like there's going to be something else like monumental shifting happening. I see it already. Awesome. I'm definitely pushing forward for it. That is for sure. But I do, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to turn the tables here for a second. I've got a question. <laughs> I ask this question to everyone, right? So on my forearm, I've got the number 333 tattooed on my, my forearm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because for me, my dog's literally making noises while he's sleeping right now. Hang on. <laughs> my dog does the same thing. <laughs> poor guy. All right. He's cool now. He was awake. Like, what happened? Okay. So anyway, three, 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 it's this number that I see all the time. Like mm -hmm. I can tell you the craziest stories. Does that number have any effect on you whatsoever? So my lucky number growing up was 33. Okay. Um, I put it on all of my sports uniforms. And so to me, like it's three, three, three is it goes to nine, which is yeah. my birth month. Okay. Um, and it's also like the full cycle of a lot of things. So that's what I see with three, three, three. Okay. Yeah, right on. Like, cause I'm a September yep. uh, baby. So yeah, the, the nine, my dad's number was nine. Yeah. So I do, uh, do you ever follow that number? If you see that number, do you, does it make you make oh, a, yeah. a decision or, okay. Yeah. Like when I have phone numbers or when people have numbers that do that. Yeah. I, there's always some sort of number connection. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And one last crazy quick story. I don't, I don't know if you have one that matches with this. Okay. So me and my girlfriend were like totally into this band asking Alexandria, right? Like just been listening to him forever. And uh, so when we were at IPEC in Atlanta, um, the band happened to be playing a show on the last night. So it was perfect. And it would be the third time that I saw them play. So I told her, I said, Hey, we're actually going to meet the band. Right. And she's like, how, how are we going to do that? You know, now she's seen this three, three, three thing play out many, many, many times. So her mind's always blown, you know, and, uh, I said, I don't know, but it's the third time it's going to happen. So the day of the show, we were driving around and it was like 1.45 and the show wasn't for set until 7.30. And so I said, um, okay, I know what's going to happen. We're going to meet them in a restaurant. We're going to find them eating and we need to be there at exactly 3.33. And that's what's going to happen. And she's like, oh my God, okay, whatever. Like, how, how are we going to know what restaurant and all this stuff? I know this sounds completely insane and crazy, but I swear to you, you can go to my Facebook and find the pictures of me hanging out with them. Um, so I pick a restaurant out, out of the blue. I'm like, dude, I feel like it's going to be this one right here. It just seems like it's not too expensive, but it's nice enough. It just feels right. So we walk in through that door at 3:33, and sure as hell, man, the bass player and the guitar player come walking out, held the door open for him, which was, you know, <laughs> our course. core values. And then I walked at the back and there was Danny sitting in the back and we got to hang out with him, talk with him, and, and everything else, man. And, um, so yeah, it's just a really weird thing. That's a whole topic for another conversation. Sometimes That's awesome. I feel like I'm not psychic, but I'm just remembering the future, you know, kind of thing. It's yeah. like, sometimes it feels like everything has already happened, but yeah. So anyway, yeah. that was my question for you. That's yeah, that's rad. It's, it's definitely like when you feel it in your gut and the intuition, like you just follow it. And yeah. for you, it's the, the connection to the, that number to give you the sign. And for other people, it's a color or it can be like a song or something that they hear or feel, but yeah. yeah.
There's totally. tons of signs out there when you're ready to see them or listen to them. That's it. And that could be where my creation from nothing comes from. I just keep following that feeling. Just go yes. with it. Just so go with listening. it. Yeah, dude, just go with it. Don't fight the wave. Don't fight the the flow, the current of the, the universal ocean. Just freaking go with it. And, yeah, it's like uh, when you're ready to work with Johnny B, just send, send him a text. That's, that's right. Three. <laughs> that's it. That's right. You'll get a discount, right? That's awesome. it. I love it. I love it. Uh-huh. So if people want to work with you, work with your team, where should they go? Okay, so yeah, I've got a uh, website is relentlesspt3.com. So you could easily go there. Uh, if you go to Facebook, John Burgard is my Facebook name. Relentless PT has a Facebook page on there as well. Uh, any of those things, you could totally contact me through there. Uh, but yeah, relentlesspt3.com is the website. And it's got a contact form on there and just fill it out and I get it immediately. Fan-damn-tastic. Well, we'll put that up in the show notes and we're definitely going to check in because I, I want to hear more 333 connections. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> That's so rad. Johnny B, thank you so much for being a guest on the Spitfire podcast. Awesome. Thank you. I, I hope you didn't take too much time out of your, your busy schedule. But No, today's a light one, dude. So I was like, yeah, this is absolutely perfect. So awesome. Absolutely. I'm going to go work on my abs later. There it is. <laughs> awesome. Still riding the Seuss train from the beginning That's- of the show, dude. <laughs> Well, we're about to park this into the station and for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. Thanks so much for listening to episode 25 with Johnny B from Relentless PT. I hope you enjoyed it and started to feel inspired to start whatever quest your inner Spitfire is guiding you towards. We all have that inner fire within us and we're here to support you on the Spitfire podcast. So feel free to leave us a review and share this if you want with your friends and family. And if you really want to share the love and support, head on over to patreon.com slash the Spitfire podcast. Keep being awesome.